0: This is Amy Berg, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast.
1: Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. This is Gray, and I'm here with executive producer and writer Amy Berg. How are you doing, Amy?
0: I'm great. Thanks for uh, coming to my house, which is cool.
1: Yeah, this is so, so cool, and I appreciate you having me. And especially because of this amazing background, which has to be the winner of any <laughs> podcast we've done.
0: Well, you know, it's it's my office, so uh, I, it has to sort of reflect who I am, I think, and I think it does that pretty well.
1: Oh, my goodness. I, I see Next Generation, I see Firefly, I see Stargate SG-1, uh, behind the corner there's a, a, a giant Neil Grayston, and... There's a Buffy. Oh, my goodness, there's Buffy. And
0: there's some Doctor Who as well.
1: Oh, my goodness. Well.
0: And, you know, you can't go anywhere without this guy.
1: Oh, so cool. So cool. Okay, you got a little mini Comic-Con behind you.
0: <laughs> I know. I kind of do.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and, well, tell me a bit, a bit about that. You're a bit of a nerd yourself.
0: I am, uh, I think a bit is an understatement. I am a huge nerd. And um, and I'm just glad that it's cool now.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and, and actually, it's, it's really, really neat. I, I mean, I grew up as a nerd myself. And I remember being ostracized because of it, yeah, and now it's kind of cool to be a nerd
0: it is i yeah i mean i I used to uh sort of hide the star Trek the Next generation novelizations that I was constantly reading when I was in school growing up but uh uh but now it's you know it's it's on display in my garage, so you know it's i I'm proud, I've always been proud but uh but now you know we're out and proud, which is great
1: go nerds <laughs> very cool well obviously the reason is because. People have now recognized it can be profitable.
0: Oh, it is. It's true. That it can be. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cool. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in the interview. Um, we're going to split the interview into four parts. First part will be sort of how you grew up and got into the business. Second will be um, taking me through your various experience and experiences in different writing rooms along the way, some of the lessons you've learned. Third part will be advice to writers who are breaking in. And then fourth, we'll be talking about your new web series, caper. Yes, which I'm sure everybody's going to want to hear. So uh so first of all you you got started here in California? You grew up in California? Yeah, I grew
0: up in uh Northern California in a uh, relatively small town in which most of the women became teachers and most of the men became firemen uh or police officers, you know. Um but uh you know, and I was one of the few that I think uh ran away and uh went to film school and and wanted something completely different for myself.
1: And and why was that? What 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 made you interested in that at that time uh
0: i was i was always into telling stories i was a huge reader growing up i also um had a video camera in the house and so i got to play around with that a lot and and tell stories through that medium um and it sort of made me really want to sort of i don't know show the world instead of just experience it where i was from i wanted to, to make something a little bigger
1: very cool. And so so you got to film school, and where did you go to film school?
0: I actually went to UC Davis first. I okay. uh, Yeah, I was, um, you know, it's so far outside of uh, everything that I grew up knowing. My, my dad's a grocery store manager, and my mom was a homemaker, and I don't have any family in the business. So it really didn't seem like film school was like an option coming out of school. It just didn't seem like a real job. And so I went to UC Davis, and I was sort of a communications and English and um liberal arts major but uh I had a English professor pull me aside one day and sort of changed the course of my life and she um had sort of made me read one of my papers out loud in front of the class and wow. and said uh and said like I I'm not sure why you're here you really shouldn't wow. be here you should be in film school you you write in a way that is so visual that I feel like you need to find a different outlet in which to express it than just writing essays um, and it sort of blew my mind because I never really sort of thought of it as a career choice. I just always sort of just thought it was something fun to do on the side. And I'd even started um, a film club at UC Davis, which is now a film program. Um, but that they didn't have that at the time. So I had to leave and go to film school and uh, to get my education that way.
1: Wow, wow. And so so film school then was
0: Film school was uh San Diego State University, which mm-hmm. was the cheapest one I could find uh-huh. since I was leaving a UC system um and and having to sort of go at it alone a little bit. Uh and it was a great experience. Um San Diego State is is one of those schools where it's it's kind of guerrilla where mm-hmm. you really need to you know be in charge of every aspect of productions. Uh, you need to know how to do everything. You need mm. to, you know, you, you can't just go in and want to be a writer or be a director. You have to know how to set up lights. You have to know how to edit. You have to know how to, I mean, you have to rent all the equipment yourself. And I mean, it's just, you have to have a, a full breadth of knowledge. And I think when I finally did come out to LA, I felt like I had a a strong base of understanding of all aspects, which I think helped me a lot.
1: Well, and that's a really important point because I know for a lot of people who are starting out, they kind of get this picture in their mind that, you know, George Lucas graduated from this school yeah. and, and this person came from here. And so if I only had a degree from here yeah. and meanwhile, it's $120,000, 140000 once you've paid for everything. Let's put it this
0: way. I paid off all of my loans by the time I was 25, Wow. Um, so I think, I think, and, and and I feel like I learned as much, if not more, from having to do all of those things myself and for having, not having all of those things sort of given to me um, if had I had gone to, you know, the more well-known film schools in Southern California. Um, but uh, I, you know, I was excited about my education there and I feel like I came out here with, with all the tools I needed um, to get started.
1: Very cool. And and so, Your first job. Yes. In the industry. What was that?
0: My first job in the industry was as an assistant, um, on a Nickelodeon television show called All That. And I was straight out of college. I found an ad in the Hollywood Reporter. Really? Uh, advertising the assistant position. I, um, had to fill out a, um, a like three page test in which um my resourcefulness was put under pressure and wow and then I went in for two different interviews one with the showrunner and one with um the entire writing staff
1: to be an assistant
0: to be an assistant yes wow. it was a uh, but it was i mean it was great because i just assumed that that's how everybody did it and so like my my head was on straight from the beginning of like yeah it's wow. going to be this hard that's fine i'm up for it let's do it so i had no sort of like you know again like nothing i expected to just come my way i had to go out and get it um and uh and it was it was good. It was a great job on um a really fun show um mm-hmm. with some child stars that are super talented and you know, Keenan's on, you know, Saturday Night Live now and uh it's just uh, it was a great experience. I learned a lot. I got to be in a writer's room um at the age of twenty two, which was amazing. Wow. So um yeah, I had I, I learned a lot and it was sort of the beginning of um my writing career unintentionally in a way because i had written a spec buffy hmm. um my first few months in town and it was my favorite show and i just assumed that um you know I, you know i should be writing for it because it was just for my voice so yeah. Um, so I wrote this spec and I, you know, I showed it to the writers at the Nickelodeon show and I was like, well, how do I get this to Joss Whedon? (gasps) And so naturally they, you know, they laughed at me and said, Uh, that's not how it works. Oh, you're very adorable with a rub on the head. And, um, uh, and, uh, and, you know, and they explained that, you know, you can't read specs of your own show because there's legal issues and all of that. And, yeah. Um so I was like, well, I'll send him something else then. Yeah. And so I wrote a one-act play that had myself, uh Joss Whedon and the cast of Buffy as characters, no, talking about how awesome I was oh, and no. that it would be a terrible mistake if they didn't meet me. Uh and yeah, this was nuts. Um uh-huh. And I had some of the prop guys at Nickelodeon whittle some vampire steaks, and I Uh bought some vampire teeth, and I put all this stuff in the play in a cover letter in a box, and I sent it off to Joss Whedon's office. Uh, and two days later, I got a call from Joss's assistant saying he wanted to meet me. So here I am, like 22 years old. I'd just like been in town a couple months at that time, and my. my first meeting ever. Was with Joss Whedon on Buffy. Oh my goodness. And so I ended up pitching a bunch of story ideas and I did, I was in the running apparently. Um, I didn't know what that meant at the time because I Uh, didn't know there was such thing as staffing season. It just happened to be staffing season. Um, and, uh, I didn't end up getting the job. It went to, um, I think it was either Jane Espenson, um, or I think it was Jane actually. Oh. Um, and, <laughs> and, which is fine because yeah. holy crap, yeah. um, thank God, cause there's so many great episodes of television we, we, you know, we have because of that, yeah. of, because of me not getting the job, which is great. <laughs> um, but yeah. when I went back to, um, my, uh, my writing staff at, uh, Nickelodeon, they, you know, they wanted to know everything about Joss and what, was, uh. what he was like and. And I think they figured that if Joss Whedon wanted to hear my ideas, that maybe they should hear my ideas too. Okay. So they asked me to pitch, um, and, and so I went in, I pitched some ideas, and they, they bought a couple, and then they brought me on staff wow. the next season, and, and that's all because of like, you know, a failed mission to get Joss Whedon's attention, which ended up getting other people's attention, and, um, sort of set sail on my writing career, which was pretty wow. amazing.
1: And just, I mean, just people who are watching who might not know that that's pretty unusual to go so fast.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I, very ballsy. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that path to people yeah. because I think nowadays you'd be considered, um, actually crazy. Um, right. but, uh, but for me, it worked. I mean, it was a combination of sort of, um, a lot of drive and uh, naivete actually (laughs) Um, worked in my favor in that, in that regard. But yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely hard to get in and and unless you can somehow um, elevate yourself um, Mm -hmm. first, even before your, your talent. Um, It's one of the few ways you can break in these days.
1: Wow. Wow. Okay. So, so you're, you're on staff for the show. You're, you're pitching and selling ideas, you're writing scripts. um, And then, Tell me a little bit about the next few years. Um, you did, uh, Keenan and Kel. Yeah, it
0: was, um, uh, sort of season five of all that and season, the last season of Keenan and Kel, um, when I, when I showed up in town. And, um, so I got to write for both of those shows, which was a great experience. And Mm -hmm. for some reason, um, students seem to be, uh, wanting to talk more about those shows than the shows I've actually been doing recently. Um, but, uh, it's, I had a great time. It was, I think it was three years I was there, um, running on those shows and on staff. And, um, Kevin Coppolo and Heath Seifert were the showrunners and, um, they are, um, the best guys to learn from. I think I, I feel like I was spoiled, um, starting out because they're such good humans in addition to being very, very talented. Mm. Um, so I got to sort of like soak all of that stuff in. So I went, when I went off and, uh, started doing one hours, I was I felt like I had a, a great sort of, you know, base understanding of everything that was required of a person in a writer's room and, and and also learned some lessons about, you know, being a good person too from them, which was great.
1: Well, that that is I mean that's pretty amazing. I mean that that's kind of a 3-year safe environment. Yeah. with good mentors and teachers that's kind of like a master's program almost
0: yeah it was i mean yeah i mean it was really how i was getting my ed- education but then again i was still very sheltered because mm-hmm. it was all happening in this one environment whereas a lot of people have you know all these different jobs starting out where they can learn different aspects of the industry mm-hmm. um, whereas i was sort of insular um and learning just sort of like how the you know how nickelodeon does things as opposed to how everything else works and so i was even when i left there i was still a little um naive about you know the business aspects of the business especially
1: Mm. very cool so um i don't know if we have time to talk about every project sure but uh, maybe maybe you can just tell me um readers digest of sort of the next 10 years in between then and the 4400 what were some of the signposts along the way
0: Uh, well, to, to make the move to one hours, uh, I had written a, um, West Wing spec, um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, with, with a friend of mine, Andrew Colville. Um, and we sent that to his bosses at the time. He was an assistant on a show called Boomtown, mm-hmm. Um, and we sent that to uh, his bosses, and they brought us on staff on this one-hour Fox show called North Shore. Mm-hmm. Um, And while we were um, staff writers on that show, I had this crazy idea to do a Lost spec, and mm-hmm. this was the uh, first season of Lost when they were focusing on individual characters and doing backstories for all yeah. of these characters, and... Um, I decided I wanted to write a spec from the perspective of the dog. No. Yeah, and it turned out really good, and it got the attention of all of the other shows that were essentially ripping off Lost in the uh-huh. following year. So we yeah. had all these offers on these different um, shows, and one of them being Threshold on CBS, yeah. which was run by Brandon Braga, so I was on there.
1: Wow. Um,
0: and then uh, the 4400 found me when we got canceled, and... Um, and so I jumped on the 4400 and then I got to work with um, maybe, you know, my um, most, um, I don't know, m- probably my biggest mentor, which is Ira Stephen Bear, mm-hmm. uh, who taught me so much about um, how to be a writer um, on the page, especially. Um, and I like threw everything I had in a toolbox when I left that show <laughs> and yeah. said, this is what I'm taking away from this. And because he was so great in in letting people... Um, into the different sides of the process, and even when he would rewrite you, which he would rewrite everybody, but he would want to do it with you, so you would sit mm. down with him side by side, and you would go through the script and there 's no way of being becoming a better writer than than to do it step by step like he wow. did, because um, otherwise you 're just guessing yeah well, that scene didn 't work I wonder why it didn 't work, and then you would just rewrite it in a different way, but it 's not wow. you 're not learning from that, but you 're sitting next to the master and you know you know, the guy who, you know, ran Deep Space Nine, which is one of the, the best, you know, soap operas of all time, basically, um, is, is, you know, telling you like, you know, line for line how to how to improve something. And um I I really owe him a lot as to who the writer I am now and, and um and what I bring to the table when I when I come onto a new show.
1: Wow. And and no, that was a pretty small writing stuff, wasn't it? Yeah, it was
0: like four or five yeah, yeah five people I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, and he liked to keep it that way. It was very intimate and we'd all write, you know, it was 13 episode seasons on the 4400 and we'd normally write two or three. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and he was there every step of the way. And he also allowed me to do a lot of things, um, on the production side of things like, um, give notes on cuts. And I did like all of the music spotting for the show when I was a story editor, which is wow. normally an executive producer level, yeah. you know, th- so I was, I was, uh, placed in, um, uh, in, in high regard, enough high regard anyway, where he allowed me to do things um, that I would normally not be able to do as a story editor, or a, you know, a staff writer on a show.
1: Yeah. Now, I, I want to take a quick tangent for a second. Sure. Uh, you've mentioned a couple of times already what, um, I guess some people would call, I, 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 I know this, this term might have a, a, a bit of a negative connotation, but mm-hmm. a gimmick script. Uh, yeah. In the sense of doing something way outside the norm, right. like Perspective of the Dog or the the one-act play. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there was a, a recent blog post by Jane, Jane Smithson and she was talking about a panel where a bunch of showrunners were talking about these types of scripts.
0: Yeah, oh, I was probably on it.
1: <laughs> okay, yeah. um, it's impossible, yeah. And, and I do think it's, it's very important, because people may listen to this and think, oh, I, I should be doing a, that. I should be doing that. I should write and I Love Lucy, or I should write something... You know, right. way out, out in left field. My script
0: was still very timely. And it also, I mean, it, I took, you know, when I wrote a, you know, the script from the perspective of the dog, but I took it very seriously. And mm. it was in all of, it was in the same sort of format and mindset that all of the other episodes were, like the lock episode when you learned, you know, how he became paralyzed and all of that. I mean, it was, it was, you know, how the dog got to the island and what happened, you know, and, and the people around him. Um, and how that led to all of the things where he, you know, he, and to the moment where he jumped over Jack it the, was the first thing that we saw. Mm. Um, but it was, that wasn't the story of the episode. The story of the right. episode involved the castaways and, and, and all of the different, um, you know, all the stuff that would normally happen in an episode of the show, um, just sort of with, with the dog as sort of a centerpiece. Um, that everyone was acting around as opposed to being a point of view where you're actually like, you know, running through a forest. It wasn't really anything like that, but, um, it was very much an episode of the show in the voice of the show. Mm. I wouldn't recommend, I wouldn't consider it a gimmick script. I, f- I feel like it could have been an episode of the show. Mm. Um, I think, I think maybe it was just the idea of the dog not being a real person would prevent that from happening, but, um, I mean, for me, it was, it was very much in tune with, with what they were doing on the show at the time. So for me, gimmick scripts are a huge risk Mm. because it, it, it sort of gives off the vibe of like maybe you don't take it seriously. Right. And, and that's a huge concern. If I, if someone, if one of those scripts lands on my desk, if I feel like this could be an episode of the show, um, that's great. If I feel like they're just trying to do this to stand out, that's not really going to help them. Because right. it's not telling me that they can mimic the voice of the show. Um, they're just trying to do something that was fun and outside the box and to try to get noticed. And um, and that doesn't work. Uh, mm. Most of the time that will not work.
1: Right. So be playful with the hook or the angle, but once you set in to write, it's got to feel like... These characters episode.
0: need to be the characters that we've come to know and love on that show, for sure. Yeah. Right.
1: Perfect. Okay. That answers that question, and now moving on past the forty four hundred then was leverage right after that uh
0: yes, leverage was right after that. um I had written a um a pilot um that was actually in a very similar vein as leverage it centered mm-hmm. on um, a con man mm-hmm. and uh and so when uh, John Rogers read it for leverage he he uh he brought me into the room and um and, and basically said I couldn't have been, I think, more right for that show just because our voices were so similar and how we, we chose to do that, um, that genre. Mm. Um, cause it was very much sort of like, you know, a charming lead and, and, uh, and just very heisty and sort of like very character rich, but also had a lot of humor in it. Mm-hmm. So I think the combination really matched. And, uh, when I read the script for Leverage, I was like, well, clearly I should be writing it for this show. So. Yeah. Um, it was a great sort of marriage of, um, of how we were both, um, thinking at the time. So it was, it was, it was a great experience. And, and John is one of the better room runners I've ever worked Mm -hmm. with. Um, he can break down a story like nobody. Um, and it was great to sort of, to get to sit side by side with him and, and, and work through, um, story points and, um, and sort of sequences and, and how to, you know, how to really sort of plot out an episode of television, hmm. um, like, yeah, really one of the best at it. and um, so I, I mean, I've been fortunate. I've worked with so many great showrunners, um, and, and John uh, was also really um, really opened the door to allowing you to be a part of every aspect of the process, too. You get to sit in on editing and all of that stuff, so very cool. It was yeah, it was a great experience.
1: And, and another another tangent. And, and that is that uh, you've mentioned in passing, mm-hmm. you wrote a Buffy spec, you wrote this pilot. Um, as you're writing these side scripts, uh, I mean, is this something that you're doing all the time or were they for very specific purposes or...
0: Well, it, in, in you usually want to have fresh material because um, mm-hmm. uh, when your agents or whomever um, goes out with a script for the first time, I mean, there's only sort of, there's like a, you know... There's like a half-life attached mm. to it where after a certain amount of time, it's just not going to feel fresh anymore, either because you wrote for a show that's no longer on the air um, or, you know, you've written an original pilot that someone else has done. So it feels like you've ripped off now someone else mm. because that show is now on the air. Um, so you have to sort of keep generating fresh material and you kind of have to do it in on your own time. Mm. Um if you're on a staff of a show, you still have to sort of like you know devote your weekends to what's that new thing that you're gonna spit out that's gonna get people's attention that's different from what you've done before, just so in the end you have sort of a um, a wide variety of scripts that can show all the different kinds of writing you can do. Otherwise, you'll end up getting pigeonholed. Hmm. Um, I mean, and I was sort of I think running the risk of getting pigeonholed as a science fiction writer um, because I had written that Lost spec which got me on like a slew of of science fiction shows in a row. Mm-hmm. Um so I wanted to show people by writing this sort of con men um uh, pilot script that I was actually more um equally interested in other things like, you know, like crime shows.
1: Mm-hmm. Very cool. So so now you have leverage on your belt and you you have that as part of your sort of portfolio. Yes. But you're still writing new stuff.
0: Still writing uh, new stuff. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. In a very good lesson. Um a lot of people I have the mindset I write this, and now i'm done
0: yeah you can't you can't just have one script as a sample. you have to have a lot of different and and unless you only want to write for one very specific kind of show mm. um which um seems like a boring outlook to me. Yeah. <laughs> I like to write everything i like to have I like to write comedy, I like to write crime dramas, I like to write science fiction I've written soap operas so i mean i i don't want to limit myself as a writer and and I don't want to force myself into a corner by writing sample scripts that that put me in a category of one genre or another. So I like to write in all different genres just to make sure I, I can present myself as a more complete writer mm-hmm. to the world.
1: It's funny because a lot of those genres you mentioned actually play into caper. We'll it, it, yeah. it does. It yeah. does. Very cool. So, so then moving on to Eureka, yes. which is actually uh, an interesting connection because episode four of this podcast, when we were just getting started, was Jamie Paglia. Yes, that's, how we, you met. Actually, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> how we met. And you actually helped me get that uh, interview. I, yeah, because uh, I think
0: you asked me if I wanted to be interviewed. I'm like, no, you should probably talk to the creator of the show. Yeah. Uh, he's just right over the o- next office, so I'll get him for you. Yeah. Um, I felt weird talking about the show when it really wasn't my voice. So yeah. I, I, I wanted you to talk to Jamie. And that was a, that was a really fun interview, too. Yeah, I like oh, that thanks. one a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, yeah, Jamie again is like, you know, Jamie and, um, Bruce Miller mm-hmm. were the showrunners of, um, Eureka and sort of recruited me out of, uh, leverage to come to that show. And, uh, and, you know, I started season four and after season three, I think they had some sort of like come to Jesus where they realized that they wanted to sort of breathe new life into the show.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that meant sort of refreshing the writing staff in addition to sort of, um, idea wise coming up oh, with a new concept. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so I mean season 4 it still feels like the old Eureka but I think is more ambitious in terms of the sh- storytelling goes and we we did we played more with arcs and things mm-hmm. the time um, travel the time the travel
1: new yeah
0: brought in some yeah. new characters yeah. and my my buddy James Callis came in and yeah um and then I brought on um, Will Wheaton and Felicia Day who couldn't have been more right for the oh, show yeah. so um, it, that was like, I mean, Eureka was probably the most fun I'd ever had on, um, on a television show and, and the writing staff was, was really like a family and and everyone was in it together for the benefit of the show. There was no politics. It was just sort of wow. like, everything was like left, um, at the door and we're all still so very close. And, uh, we, you know, we talk about having reunions all the time from wow. just that staff because it, it was just, um, a really great experience um. Some, you know, the best human beings all, mm. you know, on the same staff, which is just, you know, it's unusual and it's rare and you have to cherish it when you have it. And we did, which is yeah. great.
1: And, and, and quite a healthy dose of nerd power going on there.
0: A lot of nerd power. Yes. Um Behind this, I mean, everyone associated with that show was like, A genuine lover of science. Uh Um, And we had a science advisor named Kevin Grazier, who also was a science advisor on um, Battlestar Galactica. Wow. Um, But he sort of, he left us alone for a lot of of it because we loved doing research ourselves. Yeah. Um, We would bring him in at the beginning of each season of like, to just, you know, tell us what's new in science and what what sort of like emerging science that we can sort of like, you know, take for and use as a story idea and uh and but then you know we would end up you know we all had subscriptions to Wired and science and uh Scientific America, and like so we we were like just huge nerds, and just yeah. were like consuming as much as we could um and I think that showed on on the series of just sort of. Like even like the stuff that that we did season four is like coming to pass now, and mm. like 3D printing is now a big thing, and we you know there's just a lot of um, of science. Where I felt like we were like a little ahead of the curve because yeah. we did so much homework on that show.
1: And you can 3D print a whole house now. I know, isn't that cool? Oh, amazing! I know. Um, I I think I actually heard an interview, not with him, but that he was a part of, where they were they were talking about the science of Battlestar Galactica, and it fascinated yeah. me the kind of discussions that they had like well no the viper couldn't turn that way and and i love that attention to detail yeah because there there's a lot of people who have a little bit of a science background and if something Feels more authentic, yeah. And they buy into
0: it more. Absolutely, and i mean, you know, our our viewership on Eureka were by and large very intelligent human beings. And mm-hmm. I, uh, I have, I've been to a lot of conventions where I've had scientists, actual scientists and professors, come up to me afterwards and say they're huge fans of the show and appreciate how hard we try anyway yeah. to uh, to get the science right. At some point, you know, we have to sacrifice science for story. Yeah. But um, but we did our damnedest and. Uh, we, I mean, after we finish a script, we would sort of send the script off to Kevin Grazier and Kevin would write these sort of like long, uh, papers in response to like, uh-huh. well, here's what it really would be. I would use these terms yeah. instead of that term. So, um, but we never, we never had any sort of techno babble. There was, uh-huh. there was no, you know, blah, blah, blah in, in, we, we did it all ourselves and wow. we tried to wow. be, um, we just loved doing it. I mean, yeah. we weren't, there were no lazy writers on that staff. We, uh, we wanted to make sure that um, the, story, the stories came from the science as much as from the characters. Um, and to do that, you have to be really genuine with, with the facts that you're basing it on.
1: Wow. Wow. That, that is great stuff. Um, now, I couldn't think of a more polar opposite to Eureka. Person of Interest.
0: Person of Interest. Person of Interest is, is in a way a genre show, I would think. Uh-huh. Um, but again, like, you know, my, when you look at my sort of portfolio, as you would say, um, you know, I have a lot of stuff that I've written that is perfect for a show like Person of Interest. Um, mm. and I have other stuff that would be perfect for a show like, Um, Eureka. I mean, Person of Interest takes itself very, very seriously, Mm -hmm. which Eureka surely does not. Um, uh, we had a lot more sort of fun with, with everything that we did on that show. But, um, Person of Interest was also, um, I mean, they, they took science very seriously. They took technology very Mm -hmm. seriously. In the same way that we were geeks about science, they were all geeks about technology. Um, and, and, you know, they have, they also have, you know, science tech consultants, I mm-hmm. guess you would say. Um and they have spy consultants as well. Wow. So there's a lot of um components that go into making that show. And and you know and and Jonah is is like one talented person. <laughs> <laughs> um you know from the Batman movies to Memento to like I mean for him to come in and do a television show and um and It not to feel like he's, he's just, you know, doing it as a side project. I mean, he, this is his baby. Yeah. Um, and, and he made sure that everything was on point. Um, and it was a really sort of fun, um, show to be on set for, too. I Mm -hmm. mean, Michael Emerson is like he's a dream um, to work with, Um, and obviously I was a fan of him from Lost. Clearly, I watched Lost. Oh yeah. (laughs) But uh, uh, so you know, for me to be able to sort of work with him in a a different context was was amazing. Well, he was he was
1: the reason I started watching that
0: show. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he pulls you in like crazy, and he does it on Person of Interest too. Like you, I mean, most of the time maybe he's he's talking about what he's seeing on a monitor, but damn, if you're not like really (laughs) attentive to what he's saying um but uh you know the episode I did I wanted to to sort of throw his character um uh for a loop and and I I uh gave his uh character ecstasy
1: (laughs) through through crazy because I just wanted
0: you know I wanted to see see the playful version of Finch and um it turned out so well and it was just sort of like really great to see the sort of the character step out from behind the desk and 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 play a little bit and sort of like, you know, be a little looser than what he was and um and you know, and I came onto that show halfway through the first season to sort mm-hmm. of help them finish out the the season. They they got a little behind schedule, but um but it was just such a, a great experience to be able to sort of just come in and just sort of be welcome right away and um and uh you know, I, I wish I could have stayed, but you know, I, I had I had sold a couple pilots and so I had to go off and, and do those and Um, I'm still a huge fan of the show. I think it's great, and I think it's only getting better.
1: Mm -hmm. Very, very cool. Now, in terms of pilots, um, there's a lot of people who are sort of career room people, if I want to call it that. And then um, there's a lot of writers who sort of, at this stage of the career, after sort of moving up to the point where you've been involved in all the different processes, Mm -hmm. that you sort of want to be the one who's making yeah. The story.
0: Yeah. I mean, at, at some point, sort of, you, you lose sight of your own voice because mm. your job as a staff writer in, in large part, um, not just to contribute to the room, but also to mimic the mm. voice of the showrunner of that show and, and the tone of that show, which may not be your own voice or even where anywhere close to your own voice. Um, so at some point, you sort of need to remind yourself of what your own voice is, whether that's just writing pilot specs to sort of like, you know, Put yourself through the paces um or to actually go out and and pitch and develop and create a show of your own and and go through that whole process and which is you know can be really intimidating but also if if you are really sort of you know you really want to get your own voice out there it's really the only way to do it is to go make a thing
1: Mm. very cool and so now you did shoot both pilots
0: No, I shot one of them. I shot, um, the Gina Davis one, the Gina Davis one, uh, Gina Davis and Scott Bakula for TNT. Um, and, uh, it was a great experience. Um, she's a doll, uh, Mm -hmm. and I want to work with her again so very quickly. And so is Scott Bakula. I mean, honestly, it was like a dream cast. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was sort of really, Wonderful because it was the first time that I had you know something I had written had gone through all of these paces and and made it through all of the hurdles that normally make it you you know you run into when you're developing something and um to the point where we were you know on set in Portland making the thing and um, it was just a great experience to sort of, you know, be on that side of it. Um, to be sort of the one that people are turning to when they have all the questions and stuff mm. and, and not just sort of a cog in a machine, but more of a, um, a leader on, on set and, uh, and creatively. Um, it was, uh, it was a really great experience. I'm, you know, sad that it, it didn't go farther than the pilot itself, but I'm super proud of it. I think the end result was fantastic and, um, it just, you know, why it didn't make it, who knows? It's mm. hard to say.
1: Um, it's a bit of a crapshoot.
0: It's a crapshoot. I mean, and, and, you know, they have other things that they're trying to pair it with. And so you just sort of sometimes lose out to, um, you know, a bigger creator name. Mm. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I, I'm very proud of it and, and I think it sort of made me a, a stronger person. Um, not necessarily a stronger writer, but like a a stronger presence um, mm. as a creator than I I was before.
1: Very cool, and and certainly a great trial run for the a good trial time run that you actually make it through for and sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was and it was definitely uh, it definitely sort of uh, was the springboard for me wanting to do something like caper too, where you know you just sort of get to a point in in the business where you know you get bogged down by you know a lot of like too many cooks in the kitchen. Mm. You know like. It, there's just, just the process can be really you know it can really really tense and yeah. um and and you sort of lose sight of why you got into this business in the first place and i mean it's to have fun i mean we mm. get to make things for a living like yeah. what better job is there than that oh yeah and so i really just sort of wanted to dive back in after that pilot experience and and you know um without any overseers and yeah. and I, and i got to do that with caper i got to be the studio and i got to be the showrunner and um it was just a, a to this day i mean it probably will be the, my my best professional experience i've ever had
1: wow wow yeah. okay well we were going to talk about caper at the end but why don't we do that now sure okay um because caper is it's fun yeah it's, it's fun it's so I, I watched the first two episodes i think those are the only yeah ones go only go right two now. that i've released yeah and uh i mean great cast yeah and it's it looks like a tv show obviously obviously it, you can tell that like it's that it's a kind of an indie feel to the content. Yep. But it looks like a TV show. Tell me about and we were talking about this a little bit before we started um, the 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 two predominant places that you see web series are either as a loss leader yeah. for sort of getting like like a like a showcase piece mm-hmm. for the actors and director and, and other people who are involved. In other words, put a lot of your own money in and don't expect to get a lot a lot R- out. Right. Or you've got these big like video game companies who are putting hundreds of thousands of dollars into these grand spectacles. Um, this isn't either of those. Tell me about why you wanted to make Caper and how it happened.
0: I, I just really wanted to do something fun and I wanted to do something that was mine um, and and you know making the pilot for TNT um, really sort of put the fire in me to sort of um, create. Um, and you know, and Felicia. Day and I have been friends for a very long time since, um, I wrote a character for her in, in, um, Eureka and, and, brought her on in the show. And, um, we, you know, we've been going back and forth for the last couple of years of like when we're going to work together again and what's that thing going to be. And, um, I just happened to have a lunch scheduled with her the day after I finished, um, editing the pilot for TNT. Wow. <laughs> and it, and, uh, my friend Mike Sizemore was, um, in sort of a confluence of crazy events, but my, my friend Mike Sizemore, my my co creator on Caper, was in town visiting um and he had a bunch of meetings around town and um and so I brought him along because I thought he should meet Felicia. And the night before I was like, Well, you know, if we ever wanted to do a digital series, we're we're talking to Felicia tomorrow, so like Wow. Is there anything that we, you know, you know, and we just like literally broke the story for Caper that night before the lunch and we came into the lunch and pitched it to her and she, you know, by the end of the lunch we had a show. Wow. Um, and it was, uh, it was such a, a fun like way it all started and, and then it just sort of steamrolled from there and, um, to get to be the production company in the studio behind it, um, is, it was a great experience because there was, you know, there's so much involved in putting a show together and, and you don't normally get to be, um, you know, a part of the business side of things. Mm. And, and I was forced to be involved in the business side of things. And, you know, I was hand delivering contracts for people to sign, which isn't something that I would normally ever do. Wow. Um, but it was, um, it was a great experience and, you know, for, for it to be, Something that's yours and, you know, the success or failure kind of rides on you is so damn scary, but at mm. the same time rewarding because, you know, this is why we do the thing that we do. I mean, this is why yeah. we become writers is it's, it's to create stuff and... Um, if you don't sort of like, you know, take the risk along with the reward, then there's no point. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, you know, I, you know, putting my name on the thing and, and, and having to, you know, be involved in every step of the process from, you know, from, you know, it's inspiration all the way through the, you know, the sound mixes that I'm doing this week, actually mm. finishing up from the last few episodes. Um, it's, you know, it's been great and, you know, not some people don't. You know, have it in them to be, you know, the boss. They just want to write scripts. And, mm-hmm. but I, I like being the person that people come to with questions. I, you know, I, it really sort of, um, I feel like it's a part of the process of being a showrunner is that you need to be, you need to stand up and say, this is the way it's going to be. Um, if you don't have that, you know, that gene, <laughs> mm-hmm. I imagine doing something like caper is very difficult. Um, because there are so many questions and yeah. you end up, you know, you're kind of the, the department head for every department in addition because this it's a very tiny crew it's a very small budget um you know i'm buying props on amazon like two days before you know we shoot so it's um it's very hands-on and it does have sort of that film school experience of like guerrilla filmmaking Mm. um at its finest where like everyone feels like they're in the foxhole together yeah and i think that's why we had such a great our cast and crew were basically people that I had brought in um, that I had known before from other projects and mm-hmm. um, who are just friends of mine and, and, and people that, you know, I trust to do the job, but also to bring the personality to the table of like, you know, I realize we're not really getting paid for this, but yeah. this is something that's going to have all of our names on it. So let's, you know, let's give our heart and soul to it. And every single person did. Wow. Um, from the interns to, you know, Beth and Abby and Hartley and Harry, our leads. Yeah. And, um, everyone was like so gung ho. It was just like, it was so fun to make it. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, Despite like, you know, not having the money that you would normally want to, to, to you know, to try something like this, we did our damnedest to make it feel like a television show and not a web series. There's no sort of talking to a camera. Hmm. Um, it's it's very much shot and performed um, as though it was a series that would be airing on a network or a cable show. It just happens to be airing on YouTube and Hulu.
1: Wow. And you pulled a lot of favors to make that happen.
0: A ton of favors. Yeah. <laughs> um, to the point where I couldn't really do it. I, do it again if I uh-huh. wanted to. Um, uh, we'd have to find a different sort of model, I think, for Caper Season 2 than we used for Caper Season 1, because I don't know that anyone, um, can invest the time and energy and, um, lack of income <laughs> from, yeah. from the time that they give us. Um, I, I don't think we could do it all over again. We'll have to find a different avenue, um, to make Season 2. But, um, I mean, I I wouldn't. I don't regret a single day from from making Caper, and I don't regret a single dollar either. I mm. think in the end, it's it's all worth it. Um, to just make a thing that you're proud of.
1: Mm. And uh, and speaking about dollars and season two, um, I know that you mentioned in a different interview that uh, Hulu is better than YouTube. Uh, if people want to watch it, choose Hulu. <laughs>
0: well, it's not to choose Hulu. Hulu as as a outlet that. As a platform in which season two could possibly be funded, mm. um, as opposed to YouTube. Yeah. Um, YouTube. Um, I mean, it keeps track of views, which is fine, but um, it's not going to bring in the revenue that would be necessary to make something like um, a season two. And and I know that watching things on Hulu at the moment um, is is not something people love to do because there are commercials, but mm-hmm. those are there for a reason. Right. Um if those commercials didn't exist, I have no chance of making back the money that I put forward to to make Caper in the first place. And yeah. if it does well on Hulu, who's to say that um they won't want to fund a season two? Or um it, the success of the model somehow inspires someone like Netflix or Amazon to mm. to fund season two. So um I think um it's not that we, we prefer one platform of the other as far as, as, as showcasing the show. I think it works best on on, on either outlet. But um, for us, as far as um, our future prospects for the show, um, Hulu is definitely a, the outlet that, that can sort of best uh, reward us.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and tell me a bit about Geek and Sundry because because the distribution part of any web series is a big deal.
0: Yes. Um, well, and 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 again, like that's one of the reasons. Like I could have made Caper on my own. Um, I could have spent the money and and just been the studio and the distribution. But mm-hmm. I don't have a distribution model in place, and that's that's a big deal because yeah. it is not easy to launch anything, as we yeah. all know. Um, and and. And Geek and Sundry, I mean, they have great shows already. I mean, Tabletop is one of the most entertaining things you can watch on all of the web or television. Yeah. Um, so they, you know, they have the experience that is required to launch something, and and they have the, you know, the distribution outlet already in place on their website and on YouTube. Um, and it was sort of like, you know, and obviously Felicia and I just want to do stuff together. Yeah. So. Um, you know, the marriage of, you know, my company and, and Geek and Sundry to make this thing was, was great. I mean, it was the best, you know, of all possible worlds. I know how to actually make the thing and they know how to put the thing out there. Hmm. Um, and so we, you know, we came together and, and it just seemed like an, a, a great fit. And it just prevented me from having to worry about a whole side of the, the business that I know nothing about,
1: Hmm. Um,
0: but I've learned through the process of, um, well, some of it anyway. You can't learn everything, (laughs) unfortunately.
1: Well, tell me a bit about what you've learned, because it must have been a transition for you to go from pretty, I mean, for all intents and purposes in this context, unlimited resources of a TV show to extremely limited resources. Yeah,
0: yeah. As I was telling you before, I I sort of did the math just for fun. Of, um, comparing, um, the cost per minute of my TNT pilot versus the cost per minute of caper. And it boiled down to we spent around $125,000 per minute on the TNT (laughs) pilot. Yeah. And about $800, $850 per minute on caper. Wow. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm not more, I'm not prouder of the TNT1. I'm super proud of CAPER. So um, it just goes to show that it's really not the money and the resources that goes into making things. It's sort of the, you know, the passion mm-hmm. um, and you know, the ideas behind the thing that, that you know, makes it successful and not in, in your own you know, heart and mind.
1: Yeah, It must be freeing not to have to go through the notes process.
0: Um. Yes. The answer to your question is yes. Well, I mean, I think for me, like creative freedom was one of the big reasons why I wanted to do something like Mm. that. And, you know, there tend to be a lot of cooks in the kitchen on in network and, and cable and from the, you know, the studio notes from, you know, network notes and. Uh, Producer notes, even Mm -hmm. Um, there's so many stages that an idea has to go through, and it's sort of like you know grandmother's whispers, where it's like it changes everything through every step. It changes, and and by the end of it, sometimes it turns out to be nothing even close to what you had originally intended to make. Um, Whereas this, you didn't really have to worry about that. Um, I I gave it to Geek and Sundry for notes, and their notes were fantastic. They were very minimal, Um, but it was all sort of for the betterment of the process and. Um, and, you know, and they watch cuts and they give notes on cuts, but like we're all on the same team. It doesn't ever feel like, you know, they're not trying to prove their jobs to me and I'm mm. not trying to prove my job to them. It's like, how do we make the best thing? And it just feels like it's more of a family vibe. It's more like we're all in this together, um, you know, and we're, we're just trying to make something that, you know, is as good as it can possibly be.
1: Very, very cool. Uh, and, and before we move on from Caper, any other thoughts about it?
0: Any thoughts about Caper?
1: Or, or anything that you'd want to tell the audience about? Uh,
0: if you don't know anything about Caper, Caper is a uh, digital series that combines live action and animation. Um, we do all of the live action is, is the alter ego stuff, and we do superhero sequences and animation, so we avoid sort of the cheesiness of um, having, you know, costumes and and action sequences that we can't do on a budget without it looking terrible. Hmm. Um, And the show is essentially about the alter egos of a team of superheroes who turn to a life of crime to make ends meet. And it's sort of like what I like to call a character comedy. So we don't take ourselves seriously and um, we hope you don't take it too seriously either. But it's just a really fun show.
1: Very, very cool. Um, And as I was mentioning before, a lot of us get into this business because of the fun of it. Yeah. And uh, it's not that it's not fun work, but you, you lose that little something yeah. that, you, that we had with our film school projects and, and little passion projects in the beginning. So yeah. it's cool to see that at this stage of your career, there's no reason you can't do a passion project.
0: Right. And, and but sometimes you have to get to a certain place in your career to be able to pull off something like that. Um I mean the only reason I could make caper is that I could afford to take hmm. 6 months off to devote to something that wasn't necessarily going to make any money. Right. Um had this been, you know, the start of my career, I I wouldn't necessarily be able to do that. I for sure wouldn't be able to do that. So, um I've been fortunate enough to find some success on the television side to be able to fund these you know side projects that sort of remind us why Mm. um the you know why we do this it's it's to have fun it's to make stuff it's to you know to be in the foxhole together it's all of those things that we you know discovered when we were in film school
1: yeah and would you be open if there was a chance to pitch this as a series
0: oh for sure um i mean the cast and i uh have already talked about it Mm. we we would love to turn this into something else um and the big joke on set was when um, an actor was goofing off or something that they would be left out of the movie.
1: <laughs> so yeah,
0: so yeah. Um, Hartley I think is still on the out, so he might not yeah. be in the movie, but everybody else is for sure in the movie. Uh-huh. Um, no, everybody's in the movie. But yeah. I mean, I mean, the fact that like during production that we would be joking about these things because we want it to be yeah. something more than we can make it at the time. But like, if it's a you know if it's a movie or if it's a TV show, we would all love to do it.
1: Uh-huh. You never know.
0: Yeah, who knows? You
1: never know. Um, very, very cool. And, uh, and so moving on to the last section. was going to be the third, but it's not the last. Is um, <laughs> Now that you have all of this body of, ex- of experience, last however many years, um, lots of different TV shows, lots of different staffs, um, you see people who are now coming into the industry um, who want to break in. What, what would you say to 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 those people and, and it could be anybody' I'm not, I'm not saying necessarily the stereotypical person who's doing it wrong yeah but but somebody who's maybe uh, a writing assistant now or just a just an assistant and wants to get ahead or maybe trying to get an assistant job um, what would you say to them as as things you wish you would have known in the beginning
0: um Well, it's tough because I, I got lucky really fast. But, um, I think my, my, my biggest, um, piece of advice would be don't wait for something to happen to you. Like, don't count on your talent to be the thing that gets noticed. Um, sometimes you have to be noticed first. Um, and you can do that by getting an assistant job, getting on a show, getting on, you know, working on, on the studio side or the network side of things and, and really showing them what you can do and what kind of person you are. I mean, like, on Eureka, like, our, we met people at Comic Con that then became interns, that then became, um, you know, our, you know, script coordinator because wow. we, we appreciated the passion for the show and, and the willingness to do anything that was required to, you know, to get started.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, you can't be afraid to get coffee for people. I mean, yeah. you just, there's things that you're just gonna have to suck up. You may be the best writer in all of the land, but, if you're not willing to go get a latte for, you know, for a producer, then you're, you know, you're not going to get very far. Um, you have to get in the door. And, and a lot of times the scripts just don't do that anymore. Um, mm. You have to find some other way of, you know, presenting yourself and, and showing people your willingness to work hard um, and, and not just be talented. It's just not enough anymore. Um, and it's just so hard for, you know, a script to land on the, the table of the right person at the right time. Um, You can't just sort of, you know, hope and wait and, you know, submit to festivals and hope things, you know, happen from that. You really need to sort of dig in. Hmm. Um, And and you just, you have to write. Like, you you know, don't write one thing and think that's going to be the thing that's good enough. You have to keep writing. You have to write a bunch of things. Um, You know, I would recommend having three or four samples that you can submit, you know, to different kinds of shows so it's not just like oh you know I only write genre so you can't submit it to bones or something um like you need to sort of have a breadth of of a material to be able to show people um but yeah I mean just just write um don't stop just keep doing it never be satisfied and never think you've learned enough because you haven't I haven't I'm still learning things every day and and if you think you you've you know there's nothing left to learn, then you're not going to go very far.
1: Very very cool. Well, I think that is a perfect place to end up. And I really thank you for your time. And people don't know we actually had a few false starts to this as well. <laughs> practice runs. Um, so I, I appreciate so much you taking this time and. Uh, and, wow, I really hope you get your own shows off the ground because I'm convinced that they're going to be stuff that I'm going to love.
0: Oh, thanks, Greg. Just, but it's probably because of these things, unless me. But I get No, it's, it's fine. I understand. Yeah.
1: yeah. Very, very
0: cool. <laughs> Thank you. appreciate it.
1: Cool. Some helpful links from this episode. Follow Amy Berg on Twitter, at Bergopolis. Follow me on Twitter, at Grey Jones is my handle. You can find Geek and Sundry with bonus content for caper at geekandsundry.com and of course visit tvwriterpodcast.com for tons of resources including a tv writer twitter database with over a thousand writers links to hundreds of free tv scripts pilots and bibles you can find the audio only versions of this podcast through the script magazine itunes feed you can also find the video version at plenty of places itunes blip.tv youtube TVWriterPodcast.com and of course at ScriptMag.com. I want to thank this week's sponsors: Script Anatomy, feature and TV script consultations at ScriptAnatomy.com; Rode microphones at RodeMic.com; Think Tank camera bags and accessories at ThinkTankPhoto.com; Indy System affordable U.S.-made camera support gear at IndieSystem.com; Red Giant software effects plugins. At redgiant.com. Elgato, makers of ITV computer based DVRs at Elgato.com. Total Training, thousands of hours of online training at com. For information on how you can advertise your product, service, or yourself for as little as $30, visit TVWriterPodcast.com and click on Advertise. Thanks for joining me. Look forward to seeing you next time. Bye bye hosted by gray jones the tv writer podcast is brought to you by script magazine and scriptmag.com the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web